When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and this guy is... John Pigeon. Now, John, we've had to press pause on the national tour. Uh, We've still got to do Melbourne and Sydney. As we know, Sydney's in a bit of a pickle at the moment. Yes. And if you are in Sydney, Greater Sydney or anywhere that's um, going through what Melbourne went through last time, uh, we're thinking of you. Uh, So we have rescheduled at the moment... For Melbourne, uh, 27th of August and Sydney, the 3rd of September. So you don't have to do anything if you've already purchased a ticket. Uh, And of course, there are still tickets for sale. uh, And we'll be really looking forward to seeing you at our live events. Now, these events could change again. We're just going to be fluid with, um, with making it all happen. But put simply, if I can't get to Melbourne or if the team can't get to Melbourne, we won't do the Melbourne event. And likewise, if it's not going to be a good environment, whether it's not safe or you can only have three people in the building, we obviously will postpone again. But uh, you don't have to do anything. You've already purchased your ticket and we'll be looking forward to seeing you there. And, and I think it's important to add, Glenn, that, that the power of these is actually being in the flesh. So we could run a webinar-type style, but I don't think it has the impact uh, that those around the country have seen how, how strong it is in the flesh. And, uh, and we want to get there and make eye contact, don't we? Yeah, and webinars suck, so just um, not heaps keen on doing that again. All right, we've got a variety of topics today. Uh, we're going to be talking about paying off debt while saving for a home deposit, uh, some high income earner stuff, uh, some growth in the market with cash savings, all the good stuff. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Okay, John, the first question here, uh, Michelle Hopcroft, she put it in the Facebook group about going back to uni. Uh, She's in HR. And I thought the best person to answer this was uh, Shelley Johnson, who actually hosts the My Millennial Career podcast that we run. So, let me try and uh, get Shelley on the line. Hey. Hey, Shell, it's Glenn. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, quickly, I tagged you in Facebook before. Are you able to answer a quick question that Michelle Hopcraft asked in the group? Yep. The question is, guys, should I go back to uni? I currently work in HR and am diploma qualified. I'm already working in the field, but I feel like maybe I won't get the big bucks or senior roles without the degree or 20 years worth of experience. What do you think? I'm 33 with two young kids, so it won't be easy and the debt slash continued reduced income will push all our financial goals back. So, Shelley, if we pretend this was the My Millennial Career podcast right now, what would you say to Michelle? Because it well, almost sounds like you. 
<laughs> okay, Glenn. Michelle is me. I think it is me just in another like formal body because okay, firstly my actual name is Michelle. Yes. But when I started in HR, I only had the diploma and I didn't have any degrees. So I was working in the field, same thing, diploma qualified. And I, I do want to say, sorry, Michelle, I think you're right. To get the big money, you need a degree. So that's my short answer. Really? Yes. It's kind of like HR as a field, in my opinion, is kind of like law. Like you do need to have the degree qualification from my perspective to get further and get paid more. So what degree did you go back and do, Shell? Yeah, so what I did was because I didn't want to um, have to go and do my Bachelor of Business and all that other stuff because I knew I want to work in HR. So the way that I did it is did the diploma, had been working for, I don't know, four plus years in HR and then went back and did a grad cert at uni in HR and organisational development and they recognised my experience as equivalent of a bachelor and from there did my master's. Right. And how long did that take you to do all that extra study? It probably took me about three years. So I did it full time while working and it was hell, Mm. but it has made a huge difference in income potential. So income earning potential and just the jobs that you can get. I really do think that it is the type of um, industry where you do have to have the qualification as a prerequisite. And what did the degree cost you? Because I'd assume you threw it on your HEX or HELP loan, right? Yeah, it's about 50 grand. <laughs> uh, and can yeah. you say to the, to the class right now, like could you quantify that, that you could get an extra 50 Absolutely, to 60 grand yeah. per year? Not per year, but definitely would be closer to 40 grand per year extra income earning potential. Right. At, at a minimum. And it depends where you are as well. Like if you're in Sydney or if you're in Perth, it can be different. But it, the long and the short of it is you're saying it was worth it for you. Um, and what about Michelle going back to her team and saying, I really want to commit here for the long run. Can you guys help with some investment of either giving me a day off paid to study or helping pay for it? Any thoughts yeah. on that? I would definitely be encouraging Michelle to ask her work to help fund it. Mm. I think the day off can certainly help, but that almost costs the business more in some ways. Like that's 20, if you're full-time, it's 20% of your salary mm. a week if you're going to have that time off. But asking them to fund it, maybe in their interest. So it depends where you work. Usually if it's a larger organisation, they'll have like a study assistance type of thing. So I'd be looking at that avenue, put your proposal together, show how it directly correlates to your job. Mm. The other avenue is, and 50 grand or 60 grand on a master's is expensive. That was an expensive uni. You can find ones that are cheaper. The other avenue would be just go and do the grad cert. Mm. especially if you haven't studied at uni before, it is a shift from diploma level to degree or tertiary education. And so can Michelle just start with four units, grad cert, cherry pick the ones that she wants as part of that HR kind of 
field of study and then from there she can work out well do I want to pursue the next level of getting my master's after that and finally for Michelle practically speaking like you had a child during study so how did you manage with Sunny yeah yeah it was like hell actually is that a good felt no worst felt ever no it is really hard but so many people study with kids right I was trying to maintain HDs yes which is so lame in hindsight I was like why did I do that that was completely like there's no point to doing that so if you did just want to pass it's definitely way more manageable yeah well, there you have it. <laughs> Shelley, thanks for jumping on and hijacking this question because I don't think uh, John and I could have given it any justice. Uh, what have you got coming up on My Millennial Career Podcast? Well, we just actually this week launched Good Boss, Bad Boss, where we talked about everything to do with bad bosses. And coming up, we have a community q and I think, going out next week where we just hit, we're hit with all these questions from the Facebook community. So jump on, have a listen. Sweet. Thank you so much, Shell. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye. So, John, there can be two ways of seeing this. Shell has been in that exact situation and she said that for her, it just made sense to get the extra study. Uh, she turned the uh, income up a notch and it was all good. It's not easy to study when you've got kids and all that. But realistically, it's horses for courses. Uh, maybe you do just have to go back to your employer and say, look, I want to progress in this career, in this industry, and even with you, the employer, how can I best do that? And they might not say, go and get a degree. They might say, well, hey, jump up and down three times and work an extra three hours a day. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And it's a bit of a balance between uh, the reason behind it. Is it an income rise that we want or is it just getting more enjoyment and fulfillment out of our, our work, our nine to five? So like either way you look at it, it's a ballsy exercise coming in at age 33 with two kids and then deciding that you want to potentially go back to uni. But yeah, it's an interesting one to, to see whether it requires a university degree, as you said, or it could be just upskilling and, and the the uh, mm. person higher up wanting to say, yeah, come up and join me. Yeah. So again, I don't think we ever should be against uh, further education, uh, but certainly in Shell's position, it absolutely benefited her and her career. And Michelle, I would say to you, Michelle, like you don't have to decide tonight, um, just start investigating over the next few uh, months or whatever. Declan's got a question here, John. Balancing paying off debt with saving for a home deposit. Yeah, I know what your answer is going to be to this too. Well, <laughs> I you don't. So, what do you reckon? <laughs> All right. So, I think it depends on the level of debt and what type of debt it is before we just uh, give a, a blanket approach to this one. Um, but the, the opportunity cost of um, not getting into your, your first home uh, or a home is also needs to be considered. So, yeah, I'm sitting on the fence by the sounds of it, but um, I would be strongly suggesting getting rid of major debt uh, because it's going to do two things. It's going to free up cash to speed up your house deposit once it's gone and it's also going to improve your serviceability for lending. Yeah, and in terms of uh, debt with interest, from a pure maths point of view, it makes no sense. So you need to clean that up as soon as possible, particularly consumer debt. Now, the reason why I like to say pay off your consumer debt before you go worrying about a home is because 
Again, we want to free up the cash flow, but it speaks to a pattern in your life of consistently spending more than what you earn. Mm. So, we, by paying off the debt, it's making that decision not to go in any more debt. Now, I would caution uh, if you did have, for example, uh, a car loan of $20,000 and you had $40,000 in the bank, you know, you're probably ready to start to speak to a mortgage broker because you don't really have any other consumer debt and it could be not advantageous to wipe the car loan out and then go and speak to the broker because you could service a mortgage with that car loan and with the deposit where wiping out the car loan, if you're ready to buy a house, uh, it could actually be a detriment in terms of uh, the deposit power. So again, if you're, and most people know if they're still in a financial mess, like if you're actively living week to week and you can't save and you are in debt, well, you probably shouldn't be looking at buying a house yet anyway, uh, because you buy a house and the bloody toilet's going to leak and break, or you buy a house and the fence falls over next storm and you're going to have to come up with extra money. So for me, it just speaks to ensuring that your cash flow is running smooth. Mm. Yeah, and it's cleaned up. It's interesting. I spoke to someone just this week about that. They had fifteen grand worth of um, car loan debt that had right. been lingering around, but they were saving five grand a month towards their home deposit. And, and I said to them, exactly that is like, let's spend the next three months getting rid of that totally, because it's going mm. to increase your servicing, and you can then focus purely on the home deposit. Yeah. But I think it's 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 good that he's thinking about this and uh, it's never really too early to speak to a mortgage broker. But, you know, if you do have all this debt laying around, you want it gone anyway. It's as simple as that. Mm. Very much a mindset thing, isn't it? Um, people like to be saving money and seeing that grow, don't they? But uh, but understanding the, the discipline behind getting rid of that bad stuff. Yeah. Do you want to read the question from Brittany Louise there? Right. So, Brittany says, how to make money on maternity leave that isn't an MLM. What the hell is an MLM, Glenn? <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> Jeez. You're useless. You need to come off the farm. John's in freaking <laughs> wherever he is at the moment. Where are you? Uh, the beautiful town of Minyip. So, he's in the middle of nowhere. Um, he didn't know what a tiny house was the other day. But we <laughs> go. <laughs> I'll never be going <laughs> buying a dime house. He, he's like, he's not heaps up on like, he's good. He's innocent. He's pure. We love it. It's multi-level marketing. So, you know, the Amway stuff where you bring people around to your house and say, I want to present to you my new business yeah. idea and you so, then want to sell them all this crap. Yeah. So, I've, I've well and truly heard of multi-level marketing, just not okay. the acronym. Right. Apologies, okay, good. world. No, no, no. You're forgiven on behalf of everyone. <laughs> you are forgiven and we love you. Look, I, I've got a couple of things to say on this. Do you have any comments? Hi, look, I, uh, Brittany, having not actually given birth, but um, have kids uh, on the ground three times over, maternity leave, if it's for your first time, it's an interesting period where I'd be looking at, that's the number one focus um, in, in terms of making sure that uh, your sole focus is on that and, and ensuring that you've got a healthy baby and that you're, you're putting the time in that it deserves and not um, putting your time elsewhere into just making money in this short 
period of your life. Um, if you've got that first part of it ticked off and you're like, yep, now I'm twiddling my fingers and I'll, uh, I'll actually be, be bored if I'm sitting around doing nothing, then that's when you can get creative. And, and the first place I would look is is doing something that you're passionate about and, and you probably do it without getting paid. And that's where something like that can actually grow legs. Yeah, I would be doing, um, you know, everybody's got some type of skills that the market will pay for. And the good news is like, as crap as this COVID stuff is, the world is used to having people work remotely. And that's almost the norm. Like, I called, I think, my car insurance company the other day and I'm talking to the person, their dog's barking in the background. Like, I really didn't care. Like, it's the norm. Yeah. Um, but I would say, like, you can do online surveys. So, jump in the Facebook group. There's a heap of stuff about people doing online surveys and getting paid for that and market research. Um, you might be able to get a couple hundred dollars that way. I would have a look at Freelancer or Fiverr or trying to do the ad hoc jobs where mm. you can you might be good at proofreading and you can like, I proof documents and you charge $50, $100 and you just kind of do a smash and grab on different tasks. Um, you just, I think the biggest thing that I've learned to do is stretch my mindset about what's available in my hand right now. And most people have a laptop. Most people have, you know, a, a decent amount of skill to do basic things. Uh, it could be, you know, is there any local businesses that, you know, you can be like, I'm happy to do some, I don't know, some bookkeeping or mm. something. Like it, it doesn't have to be too crazy. Uh, and this is particularly if you are just doing it uh, for the money, like just go and do a job. It's There's no brain needed for it and I'm just doing it. I'm mm. getting money. But as you said, John, take this time. If it is a bit of a passion, can you start to cultivate that? Can you start an Instagram? Can you start an online blog? Can you start a podcast? In my book, I wrote a bit about low income earners. And I said, look, I don't know what it's really like to be on a low income for a long period of time. And I know there could be a place in the market to have a podcast about surviving on a low income because it's a genuine thing and there's heaps of people. So, just got to look for different gaps in the market and certainly have a, um, have a run at it. So, it's good you're thinking about it. And yeah, go go get it, Brittany. Yeah, and just in closing on that, I suppose we just say, don't stress if you if you have the next two years off or twelve months off doing that, and and it's just the the life will go on. You've got thirty forty years beyond that probably to to be able to make a difference. Yeah, Carrie Watts, uh, she says, and like I guess on the other side of the coin, she's obviously still working. Um, and has a high income, high income earner, uh, not a lot I can claim in terms of how to reduce tax outside of salary sacrificing to super. I mean, I think when it comes to tax deductions, we're not just buying stuff to get the tax return. Like that's number one. So, it's not as if we're buying a new laptop every year because I can claim my tax rate back and you know pay less tax. What would you say to some of your higher income clients, John? Yeah, so if, if they are up that higher end, there's a pretty good chance that from their gross income, it's it's the number one most expensive item that's going out of their life. Um, highest income earner, probably around that 45 cents in the dollar. So people can go, get quite frustrated that, at that level, knowing that a majority or almost half of their income is, is gone before they see it. 
But you're right. We don't want to go and spend money. We don't want to go and create an outcome that says, oh, I'm saving tax, but it's actually costing me 10 grand in order to do that. So like the, the number one in my world is obviously buying property. Um, but again, I'm still not a massive fan of, of creating a, a, a 15 grand a year negative gearing outcome um, just for the sake of saving seven or eight grand a year in tax. But yeah, buying income producing assets, being able to claim that the running costs of those, whether they're shares or, or property, definitely helps with that tax position, uh, but it, it shouldn't be the number one focus, I don't think. I think, th- like, and just my experience is working with high income earners and property, I think the actual magical thing here, John, is the depreciation from a newer property. Yeah, and, and that's one of the first conversations I have with higher income earners is, are we open to a strategy like that? And we know there's pros and cons of buying old and new. So we've just got to outline those to begin with. Uh, but yeah, there's the depreciation aspect of uh, a newer property is is pretty juicy as long as we're buying in the right location and and the right yeah the strategy class. has got a yeah the strategy's got to fit right yeah but yeah you're right like in the first year. Uh, a, a new property on, say, a, say take a four-bedroom house, might be 200, 210 square. You're probably going to get about 11 to 12 grand worth of depreciation. Now, I'm not an accountant uh, by any means or a quantity surveyor, but based on that, uh, 45 cents in the dollar working on that, there might be five grand or so that you can claim, uh, which is the, the depreciation of the actual building. So it's, it's yeah. pretty handy. And as well, last week's episode, um, I didn't know you had your portable gear with you, so I just did the episode with Vince. So there you go. Uh, go on, we Vince. talked about yeah, we talked about private health insurance, and there's because if you own over that ninety k or the one eighty k as a couple, and you don't have private health insurance, you pay an extra one percent tax. Now, the higher your income is, obviously, the higher tax you'll need to pay. So if you earn $200,000 as an individual, you know, that's $2,000 of extra tax. A lot of the time, it's not going to cost $2,000 for the private health insurance policy. Mm. So it's usually cheaper to buy the private health insurance policy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, you know, someone earning $30,000 a year right now, he's going to be saying, wow, it's, you know, big deal, you're yeah. a high income earner. Yeah. But we've got to remember, like, your problem that you have is a legitimate problem for you, whether you earn a lot of money or a little bit of money. And yeah, to a point, like, shut up, you've got a good income, Mm. um, pay tax, move on. Uh, But I think we just have to not really ever judge someone else's situation. And I would say on the higher income side, um, I would always still be encouraging you to make charitable donations. One, because I want you to give some, save some and spend some. And then along the way, you'll get a tax deduction with the charitable giving. But remember, I don't want you to give money to charity just to claim on tax because again, we're just doing something. I mean, a lot of charities would be like, yeah, do it just because yeah. of tax. But again, I want the intent to be, I want you to have a generous heart. Yeah. Yeah, agree. But um, just going to say with, with Carrie, usually people say we're property or we're shares, one or the other. 
And I think there's no point going and doing something if, if we don't understand or uh, are maybe passionate about that wealth creation method either. So just keeping that in the back of our mind, we go searching for these little wins. But if it's not to our comfort level, then it, it may not work out well for us. So th- the first thing I'd be doing is, is having a chat to my accountant and making sure they're clued up on, the, on my situation to, to then recommend what my next steps might be. And remember the uh, concessional contribution cap to super, the amount that includes your 10% um, employee contribution, that cap has gone up to 27 and a half grand a year now. And if you didn't use uh, previous couple of years caps, you can actually use that um, bring forward rule. Mm. And oh, actually, I think it's the carry forward. Let me just Google that. Yeah, it's carry forward. <laughs> it's so confusing that it's carry forward for concessional contribution. So you can use years that you haven't used mm. and then it's bring forward <laughs> for the after-tax contributions where you bring forward ones from the future. Yeah, from the past. Uh, but Sorry? From the past or the future? No, so the, the carry forward is from the past yep. for concessional contributions yep. and the bring forward rule is for, for non-concessional future. contributions mm. from the future. Mm. Uh, but just on last week's episode, we've been having so much trouble with Apple podcasts uh, and a lot of people didn't actually get that episode. Uh, it just didn't appear. Mm. And I've tried to get Apple to refresh the feed and there'll be other podcasts and podcasters that have had the same problem. I know Victoria's had the same uh, problem with her podcast. Um, I've actually downloaded the Google podcasts app and that's really good as well if you don't have Spotify. So I think Apple have got a few issues there, but just on like as a bookend, like so many people get so outraged that uh, there's high income earners. And I really need you to know as part of this My Millennial Money world that we've got, we've got people who listen who are nothing, yep. who are on disability pension, but we've actually got genuine Australians who are hardworking and all that stuff. Not saying if you're a low income earner, you're not hardworking, but there's other people at the other end of the spectrum who earn over $400,000 a year. So we'll always have a platform for everybody, and but we will try and navigate uh, straight down the middle where possible. So thanks for um, not throwing too much hate at us if we're answering a question that isn't relevant to you. Okay, we'll be right back and we're going to talk about some growth in the share market. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, John, we are back. Mm. Do you want to read Jack Harris's question there? So Jack Harris says, if my savings can outweigh the growth in the market, is it worth waiting for a possible drop in the coming years? Question mark. Hot topic. This one, Glenn. Mm. What are your thoughts? No. um, (laughs) We're just, we're investing. We're not timing the market. We're not waiting. Mm. Um, We're just every month or whatever, every couple of weeks, whatever that is in your world, we're just investing into the market. And the thing is like, the price charts that everyone sees is literally just the price chart. They often don't include dividends and distributions. Mm. So sure, the price of CBA might drop one day, but you still get a dividend at the end of the uh, half yearly mark. So I I don't think um, we're worrying about, you know, I think it's good that your savings can outweigh the market growth. And to a point, 
until you've got about 100 grand in your portfolio, the biggest return you'll have on your investment is the money you can shovel into it. Because if there was a $100,000 portfolio and it grew 10% over a year, that's 10 grand, right? So most people uh, might struggle to throw in 10 grand into their portfolio. So generally speaking, the best bang you're going to have for your buck is your savings rate or your income capacity to shovel money into the market. So yeah, I I reckon Jack just got to go for it. And to be honest, at the end of, say if we go over the the drop in the coming years. So if there was a drop in three years, right? Every single month, you could average out what you've put in and you're going to get the average buy price anyway. And yeah, you just don't want to get into this thing where it's like, I know the market and it's going to be a drop. I mean, you listen to some people like, I tell people Robert Kiyosaki, yeah, sure. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, good book, bit weird on the MLM and the mindset stuff. But, you know, anything after that book and the cash flow quadrant, don't listen to the guy because he's a tinfoil hat crazy man. Mm. Um, so it's we're just not getting drawn into the hype and all that stuff because we're an investor and we're using uh, portfolios that are diversified. And I want you to focus on. I'm doing my shovel signal, aren't I, John? <laughs> <laughs> he can see my arms and they're moving, and I they're actually above the desk. See my hands. Um, so yeah, we're shoveling. John? We are shoveling. And I think understanding what your strategy is, like if you've got a long-term investment play, which most of us have, then just get into the market and let it do its thing and and get back on with your life. If you're a day trader and you're speculating, then yeah, play around and stay out of the market and try and get back in. But history shows that it's probably not going to give you any better outcome. Sam Jane says... What is the best way to budget for multiple goals like a wedding, investment property, upgrade the car, family planning? How would you prioritize each one if they all are within a similar time frame um, over the next two to three years? Oh, that's a good question, Sam Jane. So I'm going to answer that if I can first. I would prioritize them um, top to bottom. What is most important? And if you didn't have that, uh, how would you feel, right? And and just surmising here, I would just I would probably say, well, your wedding at the moment is probably the number one priority in your life. Um, if you went and bought a investment property uh, before you went and got married, you mightn't have a chance to be married because your partner might leave you. Um, so understanding that your priorities are your, your number one, the values that you, you live for and then work that your way through that order. Now, if that means holding off on an investment property for another two years because you're saving for your wedding um, and you're upgrading your car because you've you've built a family, then, then so be it. You've got a long time to invest, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, you've, you've just got to put the highest priority first and, and not just always think of the money. What do you reckon, Glenn? Yeah, I'm, I will hypothesize that the way that it's written, uh, wedding investment property, they could be the first goals that she wants to do, right? So one and two in that order? Yeah, maybe. But what I'm thinking, so this is what I'll do. First, we need to know. So over the next, I'm just getting a calculator, right? So over the next two to three years, let's assume uh, that, you know, there's a two incomes there, I'll assume, because we want to get married and there's no kids yet. Let's assume two good incomes, no consumer debt, um, our living expenses aren't too crazy. 
let's assume that we can come up with a thousand dollars a month, right? Yep. So if we go a thousand times twelve, we know that's twelve thousand dollars, and then worst case scenario, three years thirty six thousand. Yes, good math. Okay. So what we need to say is we've got thirty six thousand dollars as a minimum over the next three, two to three years, what can we... And then I think we then need to break each one down and put a, a number to it because if we've only got X amount of money, do you want a wedding or do you want a marriage? And it could be a micro wedding with intimate family. So you get your marriage mm. and you get a small ceremony because in your life, um, the family planning would rather have $20,000 spare to take some time off work. So I think it is like anything, I always say... To make a decision, we need some data on the table and that data is how much can we actually save each month? And then you could just plan it out. You could be like, look, we're going to just do a micro wedding. We need $7,000 to do that. So we're going to cash flow that over the next seven months. But, and believe it or not, you can actually plan most things. And then, okay, we're going to need a, a new car before we start the family because we need the Kia Carnival or whatever. And we could get one of them for $25,000. So we, we're starting to get up there with you know, our allocation. And then we might say, well, we do want an investment property. And we don't know if this person's already got a home or not. Uh, and it could be, well, let's do the investment property now while there's two good incomes. And then at two and a half years, we're going to then try and uh, form inception. And then... Um, you know, the baby will arrive at the end of that three-year period. So, again, I think it can be planned with a, a pen and paper, work out, one, how much each item will cost, two, how much we've got free to save, three, how much and in what order are we doing that? Because if the wedding is more important to one of the couples, one of the, what is it called, like one of the partners? Yep. Yeah. So if the wedding is more important to one, but the car upgrade is more important to the other, we've got an old fashioned standoff, don't we? Yeah, we do. And and when you've got two people into a situation, we've we're both coming from two angles with two different uh, backgrounds, two different priorities in life. So we need to have some balance, and and that conversation needs to obviously be had. But we're presuming that they're both on the same page. And they're looking yep. at which ones are going to be in order of preference. Yeah. And remember that the existing car might still be worth five or 10 grand. So we might only need to save another seven grand for a car or, or whatever that is. So I think it's great that, you know, John, this is the actual, do you know the winner of this question here? Mm, you and I. The winner is actually Sam because she said like we actually want to do these things mm. and we want to actually prioritise and we want to plan this. She's not blindly going, all right, we're just going to go and finance a car. We're going to go and finance IVF. We're, we're going to go and finance a wedding. Yeah. And then we're going to get an investment property in the next street without thinking. Uh, so I think the winner is the consideration. Yeah, totally. And and the, the family planning, I suppose, area is something that's, going on for the next 20 years. So mm. they might be thinking about planning for private school when they haven't even had their first child yet. So that's going to be at the earliest five, six, seven, ten 10 years away. So 
the wedding's going to be of higher priority than any of that. But you may just for sleep at night, just channel some small funds away for family planning into the future um, and, and write down what those things mean to you. Like some might want private school, some are happy with public, some might want the the um, fandangle prams and strollers, some might just borrow some from, from friends. So it, it really depends on uh, your situation. Do you think as well, this speaks to planning styles. So you mentioned one thing there that isn't my style. So you mentioned putting some money away for family planning, Mm. for example. You could be someone out there who's like, I've got my three savings account. That's my wedding account. That's my car account. That's my investment property account. And I put $100 each week in each one. Like awesome, radical, Mm. love it. That's not me. So I think it it does then morph into what's your planning style. And particularly because, you know, they want to do these things in the next two to three years, I think we actually have to order it and I think we actually have to do one after the other in this case. Yeah, you raised a good point there with uh, bringing children into the world and getting loans for investment properties. So that's really ultra important. That's what we've got to think the next five years because if we are planning on having kids in three years, then we want to have that investment property nailed before one of us goes on maternity leave. Because often if you buy well and buy the right property, it will stand up on its own uh, even if it, that one income drops. And you've got to have your emergency fund and all that stuff. Mm. It's not the end of the world. And that's why in my fictitious list, I kind of did wedding, car, investment property, and then fall pregnant, you know, two and a half years or whatever. Yeah. And, and a lot of Australians, historically speaking, that we call it the family life stage cycle where they only start to invest when that family life stage cycle is finished and their kids are grown up and out of their hair. Like there's not a lot of time left to make a difference if that's the case. So it's awesome that they're, they're thinking about this already and they can plan. And even if it's one investment property before kids come along, it's going to make a massive difference in 20 years. Totally. All right, Pidge. All right, Glenn. I'm going to bounce. Good on you. I'm going to go and get some, uh, I think about going down and getting a Twister from KFC. Yeah, nice healthy version. And uh, yeah. and just for reference, all these Melbourne people that are wanting the podcast to run live, yep, I'm here for you. I'm in Victoria ready to roll, uh, but one poor bloke stuck in New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. John texted me the other day. He's like, what hotel do you use? I'm like, mate, we're not doing the live bloody event because I can't be there. But he was thinking about just getting a hotel or something else. So. All right. So if anyone wants to join me for dinner that night in Melbourne, I'll be there. <laughs> Come and hang out. Oh, John, you're a wild kitten, you are. Mm. Um, all right, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening today. We appreciate it. If you like what we do and you're not triggered by much rage bait that we say, uh, and if you still do use Apple, jump on and leave us a nice review. Uh, we do take uh, reviews on board. Uh, we look for trends. So if mm. 13 people in a row say, Glenn, you suck, well, I'll try and unsuck. Uh, if one person says I suck, I'll take that as a comment. Uh, but uh, if you're going to complain, make sure your grammar is good. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.